Hi, you are listening to Mobile Couch, and this is a show where we talk about mobile development. It's hosted by a guy that likes to call himself Jelly, but his actual name is Daniel Farrelly. Hi. And me, Ben Trengrove. And today's episode is number 70. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, 70. And that was weird. <laughs> and that is the one time I will ever do that. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's not that bad. Yeah, yours is just like refined though. You've had 69 been... episodes there to practice that. Yeah, see the other thing is I've I I had practice doing doing other shows. Like I've done other shows where I've done an, like a, a similar thing. Although for a long time we didn't do them on mobile couch. So I didn't have 69 episodes. I just had to start doing them one day. Yeah, it's so... true. That's, that's right. Yeah, that's that's right. right. Actually, we used to just have no intro. There was no intro because we was no. amateurs. I don't know about amateurs. There's a lot of shows that don't have intros. Also, I think we're probably still amateurs. But anyway, so I don't necessarily know if we have any follow up this week. I feel like I did have something. I did have something that I wanted to mention, and I've forgotten what it was. Ah, oh, right. We had a we, we somebody mentioned uh, that we were a bit harsh on NS Notification Center, and look, I'm not necessarily sure that we were, but I did want to actually point out something that I don't, I don't necessarily feel like we got across very well, um, because we were talking about loose coupling, and I mean, a lot of people will t- try to tell you that NS Notification Center is like the best way of loose coupling. I mean, we kind of talked about that and kind of explained that it wasn't. And the thing about NS Notification Center is that notifications, you shouldn't be sending the data about the stuff. You should just be sending, notifying your know, classes, whatever, that something has happened. We talked about a little bit on the last episode. I don't, if you know, don't know if you remember this, Ben. I, I mentioned that it's probably not the best way of updating your UI. Mm-hmm. I do remember. And I think you mentioned something along the lines of, like, it used to be a real big thing where... Uh, if you know a data data structure changed, then a notification would be sent, and then they could go and get the data. I think that's really the key with NS Notification Center is that you're notifying classes of something something that's happened, but they still have to go back to their source to get that information. You shouldn't be using NS Notification to pass the actual data. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, because that's not really notifying. That's that's just sending straight up data. It's 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 a different thing. Yeah, I, I actually, that reminds me, I got a tweet as well that just, that said, stick with Notification Center, it's a much simpler pattern. And I agree, it is simpler, or more simple, but I don't think that is a good reason to use it. There are a lot of things in programming that are simple, but are terrible. So, yeah, sticking global variables everywhere is quite simple to do. It's just a terrible idea. So sometimes you do need a bit of complexity. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a simple concept. Notification center is a really simple concept to grasp, right? I'm going to send this notification and then anybody who wants that data can get that data. But the problem with with the problem with that sort of a thing is that over time you lose that sort of uh you lose the understanding of how that is working. And this is working on your own projects and then like what happens when you bring other people in and all of a sudden they've got to also have that understanding. And, you know, you get new people and you have to, like, you have a three-day orientation to try and give them a good understanding of how the code is all structured and works. And, uh, like, uh, when you have, like, a proper architecture, it's a lot easier to grasp when you're coming to it. If you have something that is not clear, like NS Notification Center, and using notifications to send data and to, like, actually loosely couple classes, it becomes Mm. really complex because you can never trace back 
to the originating source without having to do like find and you know searching and uh, what happens if it comes out of a library and all that sort of stuff. Like it, it becomes more complex to to be able to grasp at a later time. I think as as developers, you want to make sure that you're doing your future self a favor, and NS Notification Center is the way to not do that. <laughs> yeah, I think I agree. It's good in limited cases, but it's it's not good to base a whole app flow or data flow on. Yeah. So you have a topic for us then? Yeah. So I thought I'd uh, I guess switch tax. Does that even make sense? Does that make sense? I I don't know. Do you, do you switch tax? Is that a, is that a thing? Hang on, let me look it up. Switch tax. I'm thinking like tax, like thumbtacks. No, I was, I think it more refers to yachting. You know, when you take your yacht out on the water, as everyone does, and you're trying to sail against the wind, you have to tack. What's a tack? No, <laughs> I don't understand sailing. Neither do I. But I just know tacking is where you because you can't sail directly into the wind, right? Yeah. You have to sail kind of 45 degrees into the wind and then you turn around and sail 45 degrees back. Yeah, you, you kind of like have to zigzag. zigzag your way up. Yeah. Yeah. Tacking. So change tax. It, so it's tack like T T A C. I believe so. I don't know. Everything that I get up is like electronic switches. It's not helping. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> anyway, change we should get on tax. with the actual topic and not talk about sailing because this is not mobile boat. A sailing podcast for boats that are mobile. Yes, hang on. I've found it. To start using a different method for dealing with a situation, especially in the way that you communicate. Ah, so I okay. guess it kind of works. makes sense for what I was going to say. All I was going to say is we've been a bit technical the last few weeks. I thought we'd deal with something less technical but still very relevant. Okay, I can get with that. Which is, I guess, client relations or just clients in general, doing client work. Ooh, I I actually recently got a uh, I had a mention from a, a an associate. Is that a is that a term that you use in like talking about like a business person that you know an associate? Yeah, who suggested that I, I my next blog my my next blog post should be about holding clients' hands. Is that kind of what you're talking about? I think so. Yeah, because there's yeah. definitely a bit of hand holding involved. Yeah, well, I mean, they're clients. That's kind of how it mm. rolls. So I like to walk that. into meetings and shake hands and just never let go and sit down. <laughs> just you just. I find there, it provides a real level of intimacy. Do, do, you, you know? do you like stroke just to you know keep them calm or? Whoa, that, whoa, whoa! Calm is it down, man? <laughs> I'm not creepy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are you saying I'm creepy? I don't. If I mean, that's I don't what you do. do? That. <laughs> I don't so do no, that, but okay. I thought of it. So you know, there's that. Oh. We should get. We should keep. Like, we should try to stay on 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 topic. All right. Let's talk about clients. Let's talk about clients. I feel like that's where we needed some sort of intro music. <laughs> da, da, this da, is gone. clients. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I guess the first thing that generally happens with a client is they come to you either with an idea, like they've come up with an actual idea they want developed, or they've just heard about these app things that everyone's talking about like they see on their phone they have these apps and they want one because they're a modern company and they want an app but they have right. no idea what their app should do and a lot of people i think a lot of clients still have trouble determining what the difference is between an app and a website yeah so a lot of ideas tend to be better suited to just having a mobile website right like just a nice reactive 
website. So how do you normally deal with like like explaining that? Like, do do you have to explain that a lot, or is that something that just comes up occasionally? It doesn't come up too often. So back back a few years ago, I would say it did. Yeah, it did come up all the time. But I, it's probably a combination of these days I'm dealing with bigger companies, and also apps are like more understood these days, even by like you know it's not a a techie niche thing anymore. It's apps are pretty well known. Like people yeah. have their favorite apps that they use and they understand why they like them. Um, but it still happens every now and then. And so I tend to talk about things such as downloading an app is kind of a, a barrier in the first place. So you need to provide enough value that searching an app store and downloading an app is actually something your users are going to want to do. Right. So if it's something to do with referencing something, so say a cafe came to you and said, we want an app for our menu our daily menu, yeah. I'd probably say that's more suited to a website because I just want to be able to pull it out of my, my phone out of my pocket and just look at the menu. Like going yeah. and downloading an app that first time is probably going to be too high a barrier from, for me. You're going to need to right. provide more value there. Right. But then uh, like in, with that sort of an example, you could actually like you could actually kind of turn that around and say, well, look, you could well, I can do that, but what you can do is... You, I create you an app, and that's you, you have it on your iPads, and that's what your way of you know having menus on your tables. There are there are cafes and stuff that do that actually. Totally. So there, you just you've provided more value. Yeah. Like you've added to the idea and brought it into something that is actually kind of cool. And I've just sold a bunch of iPads. <laughs> Too bad I don't get any commission. No, mm. that is a problem. <laughs> so that's kind of where it starts. Um, another thing that you might get is you know, huge ideas that are very suited to an app, but they're suited to an app that's going to take five years to develop mm. because they're massive. And so in that case, you kind of got to work with the client to pair it back a bit. What are you actually trying to achieve? If you could write down, say, a sentence or two with what you're actually trying to achieve with your app, which one of these features is going to help that and which one is just a, like, nice to have on the side, which maybe we can get in in the next version. Okay. So the idea there is then that you kind of divide your divide up the features. You try and figure out what features are not necessary for the to to go out straight away. You try and find the stuff that I guess the minimum viable product. I know I know people yeah. some people hate that word, but or hate that term, but but I mean it, it is kind of a thing. Like a minimum viable product is you know the, the the smallest amount that you can actually build in order to have something that is actually useful. Yeah, and you got to be careful with minimum viable products because it can be quite tempting to just, like your app, like I was saying before, still has to provide value. Yeah. Minimum viable is the key bit there. It doesn't yeah. mean cut everything back. So no design. Um, we're just going to have functional features. It still has to be nice. Like you need an app that's going to do well on the app store and your customers are going to like it so that they'll give you feedback and then you can work with that. Yeah, and I think the way of doing that is to like is to find the like the core things behind the product, like behind the app. And I mean that might just be finding the like it maybe three, like maybe two or three things that need to happen in order to make it worthwhile and really focusing on those. So, you know, just and and finding a way I guess of then explaining that to the client that you know you need to really kind of pare it down in order to make it useful because the thing is like then that will that will actually then kind of direct the product for the rest of its life. Mm-hmm. Do, do you find that? Oh, totally. So I there's kind of two methods I know of, I guess, idea refinement. One is you can do an actual workshop for a day 
which you would charge for if yeah. you were a software consultancy. Yeah. And then you can kind of work together and, you know, come up with a process of first you come up with ideas if you don't even have ideas yet. And then you can work out which ones are required. And it, it takes about a day. But I mean, it's paid work, so it's completely fine. The other one is if they have a whole pile of ideas and they just can't see that some of them aren't required, <laughs> this one might sound a bit dodgy, is to throw a huge quote at them. So, <laughs> wow. I know it sounds bad when I set it up front like that, but it's really not. So what you do is you, you do an estimate with all of their ideas and you give them a price for each one. Right. You start with the ones that are absolutely required. Like you can't have an app without, I guess, setting up a project. So, you know, you start with the ones at the start that there's no way this can be cut. This is absolutely required. Yeah. And as the quote goes on, you, you just list all of the features and the ideas and give them a price or an estimate. And then you can say, if you really want to do it all, this is the cost. And you'll find most of the time that people will go, hmm, that is a bit higher than I was expecting. Maybe if we don't do this and this one or move them to the next version, that's a really common thing. Never say we're never going to do this. It's we'll do it in the next phase or we'll do it in an update. You got to communicate that apps are an ongoing thing. You don't just make one, release it, and then never touch it again. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you don't say it will never be done. It's just, what about for the first phase, we just do this to validate the idea? Yeah, I, I mean, and that's that's actually a really great plan, is going ahead and doing something to just make sure that the idea is something that, like the app is something that people are going to want. Because, I mean, it's all very well and good for... Like, and I mean, as a, as a person who develops my own apps, like I do exactly the same thing, right? Like, and it's the sort of thing that you just do as part of like creating your own products. You'll put together something, maybe a prototype or something, and then you'll start showing it to people. That's how you kind of, you, you start to refine like what you think, what people actually want from this sort of a thing. It's how I built GIF Wrapped. Like the first version of GIF Wrapped that I ever built was actually called Quick GIF. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I built this version of GIF Wrapped, and I don't know if you remember. I think I did show you because I had it at, uh, I had it at like the camp that we went to. Mm -hmm. I do remember, and that was right before I built GIF Wrapped for reals. And it was literally a collection view of images, none of them animated. It didn't have any animation at all. It just let you. You could tap one and it would pop up, pop up a little thing that said copy and you could tap copy and it would copy to the clipboard. That was literally all it did. All of it. Yeah, but all it was it cool. And what it meant was I could kind of refine what, figure out what people were liking. Oh, you know, it would be awesome if I could have all of these in, you know, in Dropbox. Or oh, what if I had like a way of, you know, of seeing other, uh, uh, you know, other people's gifts or something like that. Like it starts to, that, that sort of thing starts to give you an idea of the direction kind of validates the idea in the first place. Yeah, I agree. So I think it's important to mention as well, you have to, you have to tread carefully in this section. You have to realize like for a lot of people, they've never made an app before Yeah, and they're really excited and they've come up with all these great ideas and, you know, they are sitting on the, the train to work in the morning and this, for a lot of people, this is the highlight of, you know, their current projects at work. Yep. And telling them their ideas are not good or are too big or anything along those lines is kind of crushing, yeah. if you know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. you got to let the big dreams happen and you kind of have to, instead of just saying can't do it, you need to try and make it so the client comes to that realization. Mm. 
if you get what I'm trying to say. So you need to work on it together, which is why the workshops are actually really good. So a lot of people won't go for the ideas workshop because they have to pay for it. Yeah. And it seems like, isn't this what you guys do? Don't you just like tell us what we should make and give us a quote for it? But the cool thing about it, if they do go for it is you work together and then everyone feels like they had a part in forming it rather yep. than just, oh, we wanted to do this, but they said we couldn't. I guess they're no good. You know, there's quite a different perception there, even though it's almost ends up being the same thing. And you might walk into the brainstorming workshop knowing exactly what you're going to get at the end of it. But it's it's more about, yeah, letting everyone have a piece of it and some thought going into it. And the other thing I think about doing like an ideas workshop and not really saying no at the very beginning, like not, you know, crushing anybody or, or anything like that is that you can start to think, you can start to see the project as a whole and you can start to see how those ideas kind of work together. Mm. And uh, like, I mean, I, I just came off, uh, you know, a, a, like a fairly long period, a um, couple of weeks in a client's office part of that like the part of the reason that I was there was to be able to be on hand to kind of guide them through this uh, through through the process of figuring out what the project was figuring out exactly what needs to be built figuring out you know how it's going to work how it's going to look how things are going to be structured and part of that process was me wasn't just me saying no we can't build that that's going to take too long part of that process was me seeing ideas and seeing uh, seeing concepts and then realizing that they actually are, are linked in a way and I could actually kind of hit two birds with one stone. Mm-hmm. So saying no is like saying no up front is not just crushing. It's like it can actually be detrimental to the project itself because it means that you're saying like you're turning away ideas that you probably could be done and might actually you know benefit the project as a whole. So it's, you know, it's, I think it's always good to hear them out at, at first, at the very least. Totally. And sometimes you will be wrong. Like, it's hard to admit, but yeah. we, get, we get it wrong sometimes. We say that feature is, you know, in your head, you go, that's a bad idea. That's never going to work. But you build it anyway. And then a lot of the time, it turns out it was a great idea. So you've got to remember that even though we do this every day, pretty much, still, we're going to get things wrong. Yeah, I like to. I like to when I was uh, when I'm kind of coming up with my plan of how I'm going to attack this thing, and I kind of do that a lot in my head as I'm going over like this, you know, discovery phase, idea refinement, whatever you want to call it. What I like to do is actually think about how I'm going to build it, and um, I mean, obviously, that's a thing that I do, but I don't necessarily kind of explain that. I just, I just think about it and not really kind of vocalize it. And part of what that does, it allows me to start to see how these things, how these pieces are going to fit together. And I mean, that's again, another reason to say, to not say no during that phase, but, you know, to be thinking about, thinking about these things, thinking about, yeah, maybe that's not really a great idea. Marking it down, saying it's probably only, you know, we're, we're probably only going to get to it if it's, you know, at, at a later stage. You know, it's all about, I mean, all of this kind of first part is all about, you know, setting up your client's expectations, I guess, like expecting what they're going to expect and trying to like set your scope so that later on you're not going to be, you're not going to run into problems. Yeah, definitely. And you don't want to get off on the wrong foot, right? You want this first bit to be positive. I mean, ideally you want every bit to be positive, but really the first few, you want to be in a good spot. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we've kind of got through the ideas phase now and now it comes to actually 
I guess, getting a proper estimate together and a proper scope together. And this, again, is another good spot to, if you can, do a workshop. So there's multiple ways to kind of get this to happen. You can either do a, a requirements workshop at the start and work out. So you, your ideas stage kind of had the, the general idea, which makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But the requirements workshop is really about what is actually required to make that feature work. And you might find that you and the client had a completely different idea about what that feature would actually entail. doesn't happen yeah. very often, but it does happen. So that's what the requirements workshop really settles down. And it also helps you have to decide what kind of contract you're going to do. So you've, I guess the classics are fixed price versus time and materials. And it's everyone always says, oh, obviously you do time and materials. You never do fixed price. But time and materials is, I, I think it's an overrated concept. I agree it is better, but you're still going to have to have all the awkward conversations when you inevitably run out of budget, you know? Yeah. So it's not like it avoids everything. Clients aren't just going to sign off on just build it until it's done. doesn't matter how long it takes. And if you do have a client like that, you, you, you are living in some sort of utopia, I think. Develop yeah. a utopia. <laughs> People are nervous signing off on time and materials contracts. Yeah. Even though they, they kind of understand why, but they're nervous signing off on them. And it's still you still end up in the same place at the end of the project because pretty much every project goes over budget. Yeah. Or I guess over time. Maybe not actual money budget, but it takes longer than you think because there's always changes and there's always testing that, you know, brings up more changes. So I really don't think it matters too much which contract you end up on. I would just say with fixed price, you generally need to add a buffer to your estimate. So so this might be a good, like a good way of kind of tangent of talking about like how you come up with, with that fixed price. The, what I, What I did when I first struck out and started doing started doing freelance and this is something that I have suggested to pretty much everybody that I have ever talked to about this who you know had considered going freelance or had considered striking striking out on their own to do their own kind of client work is you need to figure out what like what you're worth and like obviously you can't go crazy like I am worth 1 million dollars a year that would be that would be nice but it's not necessarily something that is uh something that is tangible what you start doing is you have to figure out how much you would normally make in a regular job and then start to add other things like business costs. So you might have, uh, you know, the costs of actually, you know, doing business. You might have like, you know, uh, I don't know if you've got like a like an accountant or something um, or, you know, just things like your your actual tech, your computer, your internet, all that sort of stuff. Take into account things like if you want to go onto a um on a like a conference or something like you probably want to you know keep going to conferences so that you keep up your your knowledge and that sort of stuff every all, all the time and you, you take that kind of amount that you come up with and then you divide it down into like a an hourly or a daily rate then you've got like a basis for actually building that price or building that cost and if you approach it that way then you're kind of like you, you've got something that you can kind of back up if, if that makes sense. Definitely. Also, don't forget um, you're going to want to take some leave sometimes. Yeah. Uh, oh, so, you're going to want to take leave. Um, so there, you need to build in have... enough buffer for leave and you've also got sick leave. Yeah. So you need to build up enough buffer that if you get really sick and can't work, you've still got money to live on. Yeah. 
and um, obviously like there's the other like another part of actually doing like development as as a job is that you will probably end up having to like send emails all the time and i don't know about you but emails take me like half a day to write like i take so long to write emails it's literally not funny i know what you mean i have uh gotten better at it over time but you do lose a lot of time to yeah add mini stuff stuff that's not actually it's required definitely yeah. but it's not oh, it's actually helping the project move forward and it adds time and often time like you'll go and you'll do a meeting with a client and it'll be like the first meeting that you have with them and you don't typically like i don't typically charge to just go and like you know hear them out essentially that doesn't get charged for and you know you've got travel like if you're going to their office at some point you're not typically charging for like the costs like you're not invoicing them for petrol <laughs> to and from to and from the meeting no. uh so you have to take all that stuff into account all the time extra time into account you're not going to work eight hours a day you're not going to be developing eight hours a day seven like five days a week you're probably only going to be developing maybe six day six hours a day or you know four four days a week or something like that because there's going to be time taken up with other things yeah i totally agree with that Definitely. Yeah. So what you, like you, you got to take into account that sort of stuff and obviously you got to keep it kind of reasonable. You you don't want, like, yeah, you probably aren't going to be making $500,000 a, a year. That is a little bit crazy. The trick is you just charge $500,000 for one app and then all you have to do is sell one. <laughs> it's so simple. Yeah, I like it. It's just the get rich quick scheme right there. Yeah. Right and I just there. shared it all. And did you know that if you have, I think, I think around a million dollars, like if you have a million dollars in a bank account, you can live off of the interest. I actually sat down and did the maths for that once. It was, I was quite ex- excited. I, I, I was hoping that I, one day I would get to that point. It still hasn't happened. Oh man, this is a completely different topic, but you need to read about financial independence then. Oh, okay. Just go to Reddit slash r slash financial independence. It's all about people basically doing that exact thing. So they come yeah. up with their number they need to live off their interest, basically. And then they're yeah. financially independent. Doesn't mean stopping work, but No, you still wanna like you, you, you still wanna be able to you use it as like your disposable income or you use it as an investment, not as It just means you're free. Yeah. If you decide you don't like that job, don't do it. You don't need the money. Yeah. It's a cool concept and completely unrelated. <laughs> completely unrelated. But it, I mean, it is related to like how, like figuring out how much money you need to make per year so that you can break that down by like figuring out how many weeks you need to work per year, like you will be able to work per year uh, on average and then figuring out how many days per week and then figuring out how many hours per day per those days you're going to work and then you've got your hourly rate. Yeah. And then you can figure out like a daily rate from there. Yeah. And personally, like my daily rate is like, not equal to my you know my full like I, I i essentially charge as if i was only going to do six hours a day for my daily rate and that's roughly mm-hmm. that 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 ends up like it ends up being roughly if you do it that way and if you actually figure out like figure it out based on kind of common like how much you would normally make if you were in a job that where you did the same thing you you will actually find that you're at roughly the you know the equivalent uh daily rate yeah to everybody else and we would never charge less than a day overall so even if there's always meetings and stuff that come up to do with even the smallest amount of work so we charge a minimum a day and then after that we will kind of go to half day increments if we need to so like something might take two and a half days but if it was a half day job total we would charge a day that's kind of like the minimum unit i guess yeah that make that makes sense 
I will sometimes like doing doing web work is a little bit different. Like I I will find that I'll do like an something that'll only take a few hours. The thing about that is though, like you, you don't want to be quoting, you don't want to be underquoting yourself because in in that sort of a like in that sort of a situation, it can it can work out really badly because if you underquote and you end up like having to stick to that at the end or you you know you go over the budget and suddenly your client's angry with you or something like that it's not ideal so you need to build a buffering and the i guess the, the thing that people i've always been told and i guess is probably a really a really straightforward forward way of doing it is figuring out how much time it's going to you think it's going to take you and then doubling it yeah yeah that sounds crazy but it sounds ridiculous cuz you're always going to miss massively underestimate a couple of them by yeah. way more than double. So you kind of need to build up that buffer on all of them. Oh yeah, you're going to get stuck on the weirdest little thing and it's going to like and you're going to feel so awful about it. But at the end of the day, like if you've over if you've built that buffer in, it means that nobody is caught off guard and especially mm-hmm. not you. And it's not even like it's not at this point it's not even about the client. You don't want to be underquoting you don't want to have to like find yourself going over the quote because you're going to feel horrible and the client's going to not be particularly happy. And at the end of the day, like you're going to come off that drop and you're going to be like, oh, God, I just, I don't really want to do another job, but I, I didn't make much enough money on that one and I need to make more. Like it just leads down a really bad path and a path that I've been on, you don't want to be doing it. Of course, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen though. It's impossible to perfectly estimate complex stuff such as creating software so you gotta you gotta be aware of that yeah and that's where people always say oh well time and materials would fix that but it doesn't because the client's gonna be like why has this cost me four times as much as you said it would you're still in an awkward situation yeah and the thing is is that at, at any point you're gonna find that you're going to hit like you, you're still having to do you're still having to quote something you're still having to say we'll have it done at this point or we'll only spend this many hours, or we'll only like it'll only cost you this much. Yeah, and all of those things are, are basically setting an expectation of for, with your clients. They set an expectation that you then have to meet or beat. Like really, that's the only way that you can kind of continue on with a job is at least kind of meeting meeting those expectations as as close to as possible that you can. And so that's why it's. Like why, even though it sounds crazy to take the amount of time that you thought it was going to take and then doubling it, and that's what you tell, like that's what you say to clients, it typically ends up being roughly correct. Like really, it does. Yeah. Like it actually, like, and then then you're only going like a couple of hours over if you're going over, and not like you know days and days over, which is, eesh. yeah. So I think this leads us into our next, I guess, point about clients. In that communication is really the key to all of this. Yeah. So you've got your you've got your nice quote now, and they've signed off on it, whether it's fixed price or time and materials, whatever. Don't just think you can now walk away, build it, and come back. You need to communicate the entire time. And I think that was my biggest mistake, and probably still is, is not communicating enough. Yeah. So you have to remember your client is paying a lot of money for your time. And if that time is passing without them hearing anything from you or seeing anything, they're just going to be like, what am I paying all this money for? So you really got to communicate a lot, a lot more than you think is required. And sure, if they stop replying to most of them, then you can probably decide, okay, well, obviously that was too much. But to be honest, that's never happened to me. 
So yeah, communicate more than you think. So what I tend to do is at the the end of every week, I I will at least email them with, this is where it's at and there is a build. Like that is the very minimum that I will do. For, for any you know long long term job and those emails typically like they they will explain all of the things that I have done in that past week all of the things that are new that they're going to want to have a look at all of the you know decisions that I have made like ex- like essentially documenting everything like and 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 it kind of it it helps them to feel better about it and I, I like you could probably go daily with that I guess yeah it depends on the client. So weekly builds, definitely. I mean, you can't at the start. So you need to get the app into a point where it's actually kind of showable. But weekly builds, we find, work really well. They provide a good balance between the client getting to see something and you not having to rush to finish something every day. Because when you end up at nightly builds, which actually tends to happen towards the end of a project, we find, they're always buggy. Yeah because you're rushing to get a feature in every night to to show that something has happened that day. Yeah. But yeah, communication-wise, like just emails or phone calls, weekly is like the bare minimum. I would say definitely more than that. I find daily with some clients is good. Some people find that too much, but at least every couple of days, just like if you've made a decision or you've run into a problem, like even if it's like routine, like, oh, couldn't do... When I hit all the time porting iOS apps to Android is iOS apps tend to have a lot of full screen background images, which isn't great, to be honest, in the first place, but they just tend to do. You can't really do that on Android as well because like, you have no idea what that screen size is going to be. And right, some phones yeah, okay. are huge yeah. and some are tiny. And Android apps get a very limited amount of memory to load those images into. So if you try and load your huge image on a tiny phone, it's just going to crash. Yeah. So you, it's just best not to ever do it. Full screen background images are just a bad idea. And so when you run into one, I tend to fire one off saying, hey, I couldn't do the full screen background image, but what I've done is this. You'll see it at the end of the week. Let me know if that's going to cause problems. So I think my first instinct is uh, with, with emailing clients is to go with like a weekly a weekly kind of roundup of what I've done that week. Mm. Yeah, de- definitely that's a good idea. Not saying don't do the weekly roundup at the end of the week because that one's yeah. great. So I start I, I start with that. And if I, f- I find that if I'm getting emails between then, like, you know, sometimes sometimes they'll just send you an email and it will be about something to do with the project. Like it'll be like a question about something or it'll be like, oh, here's some information that I've sent. Uh, I'm just sending you like, here's some images or something that I want you to use in this project. You sh- like that, that that can be like, you can look at that as being what it kind of is, which is here's some information or a question about how something's going to, you know, something's something that needs to happen. Like, you know, what do I need to do to be able to log into iTunes Connect? You can look at it that way or you can look at it at kind of as kind of like, they're not hearing from me enough. Yeah. And so at that point, if I'm starting to get emails before my weekly roundup, I'll start sending emails kind of a little bit more regularly. You know, I'll just, you know, send one, like maybe one kind of midweek. And then if that's still not enough, I, I will, you know, I'll send them like more and more often. And that way, the, the reason that I do that is because it means that I'm not overburdening the client with emails but I'm also kind of feeling out how many emails 
they need in order to feel comfortable. Yeah, totally. And the thing is, they might they see them coming in, and that's enough to see like, oh, cool, they're working on it, it's progressing. Yeah. Um, the other thing, which I guess I didn't really realize at first, but makes total sense, is that a lot of these people who are working at big companies, so they're kind of in charge of managing the app. Like this big company said, we want an app. Johnson, yeah. you're on making the app. Make it happen. Johnson has to go to these meetings all the time where he has to say what he's done or like how the app's going. So yeah, no, exactly. I guess so like we often see it as we're just keeping the client happy, but the client also has to keep their clients happy who are their bosses, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So it's always good to have the people you're working with in the know about what's actually happening. And I actually find uh, at the very beginning of the project, when you're actually like doing the, you know, you know, figuring out the uh, you know, the pricing and all that sort of stuff is actually asking questions about like, okay, do you have like, do you have times when you need stuff? You know, do you have a meeting that you go to with your, with, you know, somebody yes, that definitely, you know, if you ask those questions right at the beginning, Oh, we have we have a we have a weekly meeting with the 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 department heads, and they they'll you know they'll love to know, and it's on a Wednesday morning. It means that okay, well maybe maybe I need to send stuff not on a Friday, but on a like you know on a Tuesday yeah, night. Tuesday, yeah, yeah. And so like you, you have to like that's a question that you ask up like you ask up front. Just make sure that you you know you're working with them, and it, it actually I mean it seems like like a lot of the things to tick off at, at the beginning, but it just means that you it, you're showing that you care about them as as people. Yeah, you're in it as as a team. Like you're yeah. a team together. You're not just a hired external team. You try and like become a team together. Yeah. That's kind of what I aim for anyway. Okay. So I guess this kind of brings us into the actual process involved in developing an app. Right. Which I guess a lot of people already know how to develop an app that listen to this podcast, I mean. But a lot of time clients don't. They have no idea what it takes to develop an app. And actually, I find this weird thing, right, where... A lot of people seem to understand that if they wanted to get a custom, say, app made for their actual computer, like some sort of Windows software, that's very expensive and very complex. And websites tend to be a lot easier for whatever reason this has happened, this impression. And apps tend to get lumped in with websites, even though they are really close to straight up custom software for a computer. I mean, slightly easier because you kind of know the device that you're going to be running on. But apart from that, it's pretty much complex software. And so you've got to kind of communicate that this actually is quite a complex undertaking and that's why it takes a lot of time. Because a lot of people assume you can make an app in a week. And I think we all know you can't do that. You can't do that. Well, I mean, you could do that, but it wouldn't be a very complicated app. Like it wouldn't be a very big app. It would be like, it's a flashlight. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's right. So... Yeah, communicating about the development process. I mean, by this point, they know it's going to take a long time because yeah. you've gone through the estimating stuff. You've gone stuff through the and, estimate and stuff, yep. But still, you have to. they have to know that it is complex. But they also are going to want to see progress, right, all the time. Right. So for that, we kind of use what I like to call agile light. Like we don't do the full-on agile where you have your, your scrum master and you come up with all the user stories, and then as you go, you estimate velocity and all of that other stuff. I still have no idea what any of that means, but yes, okay. <laughs> Scrum Master <laughs> basically is project manager. It's a fancy word for project manager. And what you do is you sit down and you decide 
you're talking user stories rather than just saying, I'm going to implement the data persistence. You would say users need to be able to save their data or like this app has to work offline. Users need to be able to use the app offline. So it's like a subtle language change that does actually help to make it more understandable. Yeah. So I can't, we kind of still do the user story part. Um, and then estimating forward velocity is you kind of every user story gets given a number, which is kind of like its complexity. And it's not meant to be time, but it always is time. Like it's a kind of scaled version of time. So you end up working in days, basically. So a, a 10 is 10 days, even though it's not meant to be that. It's meant to be a 10 complexity. And I have no idea why that's even true. <laughs> but, well, because the way that agile works is that it's supposed to like it. It removes all of the uh, it removes all of the development speak, all of the jargon, yeah. from the process, so that it can be understood by everybody. But people understand time. But well, because the problem is, is that it doesn't work. Because working on something that's complex doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to take a set amount of time. Yeah. Like you could have something that is a set complexity, like it's a certain amount of complexity and it will take you 10 days and something that is exactly the same amount of complexity might for some reason take you 15. Agreed. So then the next problem is this whole velocity thing. So they take the complexity values and see how long it took to do each of them. And with that, they can estimate a project velocity and they can see how fast they're moving. So they right. take this unitless value that's not time and they estimate time with it. Yeah. I could have got that completely wrong and maybe that's why I think it sounds stupid. I, the, the so thing please about, tell the, me the, if that's wrong. The thing is, I, the way that I like to, you know, I, the thing is, I think you can do a lot of, I actually remember reading a blog post about this. I don't remember where, I don't remember what it was. Oh, it was like something about how agile is 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 bad, and you should feel bad. Uh, there's a lot out there. Like this, agile's kind of yeah. just waterfall renamed in the end. Yeah, I think I, that, I think that's the that's the suggestion. The thing about it is right. Like, I mean, agile is all about making sure that you're able to communicate, and uh, you're able to communicate what's happening uh, and how fast you're moving, and uh, and be able to kind of also set goals. I think the big part about Agile is it's meant to be able to accommodate changes, which always yeah. happen in software development. Well, I mean, that's why it's Agile, because it can move with the changes. Yeah. Unlike Waterfall, which just, just falls. Just I, flows, I man. I don't understand. It's very it. expensive. <laughs> it's very expensive to change the direction of a river. They are not Agile. The, the, the thing that I like to do, I don't necessarily know that I follow Agile uh, with any of my projects. That said, I do actually, like, there are some processes that I do actually do. You know, like, the thing is, is, like, your user stories, like, you do have to communicate to your, like, to your client in some, in terms that they're going to understand. I I was doing a WordPress job recently, and, like, part of talking about some of the things that WordPress, like, the way that I was going to build stuff meant, you know, communicating in terms like custom post types. And they would look at, people would look at me, and they'd be like, what? What? What does that even mean? Like what is that yeah. even? I don't want that. By, but and it's the problem is is that it's jargon. So you have to talk to them in terms that they will actually understand, uh, or help them to understand the terms that you're going to be using all the time. And so you have to find a way of that communication. But the thing about like, and I think the key thing to agile though is to also figure out like 
you know, is to make sure that you're setting achievable goals for your development so that you can sit down at a day and at the end of the day, you know, you've actually completed the task that you were supposed to be doing. And I think that's just about being like, for me, that's just about being really specific and breaking things down to their lowest possible level. So I can go, okay, I've got this done now. Now I'd move on to the next little bit. And it might just be as simple as, all right, it, it saves the text file. Now yeah. I write to the text file. Like it just, you know, it's, it's that sort of level of thing. So that's what I was kind of trying to say with Agile Lite before I ended up going on about how I don't like project management. Um, <laughs> so what I mean by Agile Lite is we kind of, took the best bits that we at least saw of Agile and we just apply those bits. So yeah, we break things down into user stories and then we do them. Like we put them in a sprint, whether it be a week or two week sprints, and we do that feature or user story to completion, which was a huge change for how I, I guess, like to work because I kind of like to get everything going and then polish, which always ends up with this huge polish phase at the end and then things start breaking and, so with Agile, you kind of like get that feature going and polish it in that that sprint. Right. Which means you're doing little bits of polish the entire project. Yeah. And it really does help. And what it's actually really good at is it gives clients something to focus on. So sending out an app that is functional but completely broken, I know that sounded like it doesn't make any sense, but you know, like it works. Unless you tap on like anything else, it it works. Like every all the features are there. (laughs) They're just all really broken and don't look very good. It doesn't I just said it. It doesn't look very good. Yeah. Like the client's gonna get really worried. Even though it's it's perfectly fine. That's how software development works. You kinda need to have something to show that works. And you can also say, okay, if you find a bug in that user story, feel free to send it through. I know that going to this place where we haven't even worked on yet doesn't work. Don't need to tell me about that. But if you do find a bug in the bit that user story that's been done, cool, send it through. Because there's nothing worse than getting bug reports for stuff you haven't actually worked on yet. Yeah. Like it just wastes everyone's time. And that's I like uh, as a side note, that's why I don't know if you've uh, you've noticed when you've like put apps into um into iTunes Connect into test flight, right? And you fill mm-hmm. out the what to test field. And everybody kind of looks at and they call it, like, everybody will call it update notes. I call it update notes. The update notes. But it says what to test on every single one, every single thing that, you know, it appears in. And the reason is, is because you're telling your users, these things are finished, you should test them. Yeah. And I mean, it's, what you're saying is just basically, like, it's the same thing. Like, it's breaking down... Uh, it's breaking down the app into like its core bits, but the thing is, is that instead of breaking it down and just kind of tackling everything kind of from the ground level and then going up and then eventually just putting on the paint, what you're doing is you're tackling like a feature at a time, and so you're building you know this part of the you know this area hmm. of the castle and this area of the castle and then this area of the castle and then and fully to completion, and then your castle is just ex- essentially expanding as opposed to like. You have like three levels of uh of of stones, and you can see the enemies coming, and you're like, "Oh no, my castle isn't finished yet." Yeah, and so that allows you to chop and change, I guess, because you can like just cut a feature and add a new feature. It's not really mm. going to throw the project on its head. Theoretically, it's always hard, but theoretically, yeah, that's I mean, how you got to deal with design and stuff. But yeah, yeah. So 
The other thing to, that's really important to try and get across is that if the app is crashing or you found a bug and you can reproduce it every time, that's really good. That's an awesome thing. That's not a bad thing. So at first, people will like get really worried that the app crashes all the time. Like every time I click this button, it crashes. Or like every time I restart it from the background and go to this specific specific tab and do this, it crashes. Like that's awful. But if you can get your client in the mind frame where they've hunted that down themselves and found it, yeah. and that's a great thing because it is, that's like win-win right there. So you need to communicate that bugs and crashes are completely normal and the fact you found them is a good thing because now we can fix it and it saves a user from finding it. Yeah. And that can be quite hard, to be honest, especially as releases are coming up. And it's because if it's crashing and your release is coming up, that isn't actually a good thing. At least you did find it. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And it's a sort of thing where like it is a bad thing but you got to you have to realize the the good thing is the finding it and the being and being able to fix it like that's what you've got to kind of focus on mm. part of ha- part of that is is having a place where you can see uh you can see these things being changed and so you know having like a place where people can log issues i don't know um jira whatever to to like log their issues and then they can see that it's been okay. We fixed this. Yeah, yeah. We fixed or we think these we fixed bugs. It. Yeah, we think we fixed it. And then they, can, you know, and then and they when they start to see that these things are being fixed, when they start to see like when they start to get their positive kind of, you know, we fixed this, we fixed this, we fixed this. It start starts to be like a positive thing as opposed to like it crashes, it crashes, it crashes. Yeah, definitely. Um, the one though, the one crash you really want to avoid is crashes on launch if you're weekly or nightly it always happens with nightly builds which is why i don't like them yeah because like if your nightly build crashes because you've gone from a state where the previous nightly build to the current build creates something weird that you didn't find during the day because you kind of did it incrementally as you were doing build and run all day yeah but if your builds crash on launch that's that's awful that's a really bad experience and so i find automated testing really helps with that Mm-hmm. So if your build server just just tries to open everything that you're pushing out, it'll tell you pretty quick, it crashes on launch. I'm not even going to let you build that. Or like, I'm not going to put that. Our build server uploads to hockey automatically. So if it starts crashing on launch, it won't put it up. So nice. it kind of takes one step out. Um, but you really got to test stuff like that because sending out your big weekly update and saying, look at all the things we've fixed. The app is going really well. And then they get all excited and go to open it and they can't see anything. So that's the one big crash you don't want to go out. Yeah, and and part of that is just is planning as well. Like you plan for these things. I I think one of the most important parts of of like my my development day is the is like the morning. Not sitting down and opening the computer and straight into Xcode or straight into whatever and just bam, just start coding. Uh, one of the things that I do is that I will figure out uh, I'll figure out what my plan of attack is for this feature for this day for whatever, and part of that plan of attack might end up being like okay, implementing this thing that I've got to do today. I actually have to change this thing over there, and that's going to change something, uh, like and ha- and that that will actually end up changing something on the user's side. I'm you know I'm storing this value in user defaults, and when I uh, when I you know update, it's not going to be stored in user defaults anymore. It's going to be stored in the 
keychain and uh you know making sure that like as i'm building i'm planning for this like okay well if this value doesn't exist what happens or if this value hasn't been like updated to be the you know the new version of whatever that value is what happens and thinking about those things kind of at the start of it and making sure that i've got something that i can go yep 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 i've kind of ticked all those off and make sure that like it also gives you something to test which is i guess part of the whole yeah like you know test driven development <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah and i guess i've just got one more point and i think we've already kind of mentioned it but you got to make sure everyone knows about external deadlines as soon as possible yeah so Advertising is a very obvious one. A lot of companies will have like advertising programs booked and they book them in advance, like way in advance. But it means that they really need something to to show (laughs) because they've got billboards everywhere for it. It's very important to know about that stuff as soon as possible. But one that I think doesn't get communicated as well often is paid testing rounds. So a lot of companies will do, I guess, paid, paid QA or they'll bring in you know, they'll run like a test day where everyone gets a gift voucher or something. And it's just like yep. people who have signed up. And it costs it costs money to do this kind of stuff. And if you've got a bug in there that's very obvious, and even if you already you know it exists, it kind of like biases that testing day towards that bug because everyone just finds that one that you already knew about. Yeah. So it's just important to know about when these things are coming up so that you can be ready f- for it. Um, and it, it might mean chucking alert views in or disabling buttons or something to say this feature is not done yet. Like you just don't even let people get near that section, like turn something off or yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've, I've quite often uh, when introducing new features um, is like, I like let's say, you know, I've, I've introduced a new settings view and it's not done yet and I don't want actually people, you know, starting it up or anything like that. But I might actually leave the like leave the you know the button to get into it there. Uh, but instead, what I'll do is I'll stick in the uh, in the little the method call or whatever it is that would normally open that up. Is just stick a little uh, alert view and you know and break and break that cycle so that they can see. Okay, well this isn't done yet. I can't do anything about that. And it means that there's no bugs uh, to be kind of dealt with. There's no like. Um, you're hiding away the stuff that is, you know, you, you're kind of pushing all of the 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 uh, the junk into a closet, and then, yeah, you know, trying <laughs> to keep it closed, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I think overall, right? Overall, and get uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the main things to take away with dealing with clients is probably I, I, I want to say three, but I think it might just be two. Spend time in everything, in every part of the process, even the smallest parts, spend a little bit of time planning, like plan ahead for everything. And like, just, just think about like, rather than just spending, because part of like part of development is actually thinking about what you're going to be doing. Like, and you don't want to be doing that. I mean, you're going to do some of that on the run, but you kind of want to be doing it like at, at least some of it up front because it gives you this idea and it gives you something that you could potentially communicate to you know this is what i'm going to do yeah and this is you know and this is the kind of outcome of this 
And that can that goes right back to like, you know, planning with your clients, asking clients questions, asking clients like what, you know, what their needs are, when they need stuff by, when they have like when their deadlines are, all that sort of stuff. But it's also you, like you what your deadlines are, like what time do you need to finish at the end of the day? So what time, like how much can you get done? Like, you know, that sort of thing. So that's that's point one. Plan plan ahead. Point two is stay in touch. And if you're planning if you're planning ahead uh, and thinking about the things that you're going to be going to be doing, like I, I mean, let's say at the beginning of the day you decide that you you, you just you're going to attack this feature and uh, you you know what's you know you you're figuring out what it's going to take and you come across like okay, well I've got to make sure I've done this and done that and done the done the other and oh this is going to pop up this might actually influence like might actually cause a crash I might want to check that um, that's going to change like the user state or something like that just write that stuff down because at the end of the day, then you've got a thing that you can just like, I mean, you probably won't send that exactly to your client, but you can, you can put kind of, you know, tidy up the words and send it to your client because then you've got something to communicate. You've got things that you can communicate and you're making it a little bit easier on yourself and you want to communicate. I think, like we said, as much as you need to, but not too much. I like to start with weekly and kind of move in to smaller and smaller time frames from there and kind of feel it out you you kind of do what you feel is necessarily necessary in that space yeah i think i think my points are communication is key yeah. and try and work as one team not two teams against each other mm. which all comes down to communication it's all about it all comes down to people. communication communication makes it happen i think it was actually that was actually cooperation you don't know what i'm talking about i have no idea (laughs) it was a song on sesame street and it went cooperation makes it happen or something like that yep i am remembering a song from like 20 years ago i don't know how old am i again no idea on that note if you would like to know uh, about any of the things that we've mentioned today, and I don't necessarily know that there's going to be a lot of show notes there might be a show note about the uh switching tax Yes, because Ben's probably going to add that to the show notes. I don't know know what else is going to be there from that, but you know, if you want to find out about any of those, you can jump on the website. The website is mobilecouch.co forward slash 70 because that's where the show notes are. And you can also send us an email if you want to find out more or you have any questions or you thought we forgot something that was really, really important about dealing with clients. Or maybe you are a client of ours and you want to yell at us because we've told all of our secrets i don't know send an email to hello at mobilecouch.co or you can uh, jump on the website again that's mobilecouch.co forward slash contact now if you would like to talk to us individually you can do that as well ben is on twitter he is ben trengrove that's b-e-n-t-r-e-n-g-r-o-v-e and i am jelly bean soup and i don't just call myself jelly everybody literally everybody calls (laughs) me jelly except for my mother literally Thank you, everybody, for listening. It's been amazing to talk to you. We always love to talk to you. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to our patrons who sponsor the show, who help to make the show possible by you know paying for hosting and paying for bandwidth and all this sort of fun stuff that you have to deal with when you're releasing a podcast. We look forward to talking to you again in two more weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Bye. <laughs>